Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping, and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Now, creeps. I'd be lying if I said I agree with absolutely every comment or opinion held by some of you regarding the cases we cover. But, despite our disagreements, I still appreciate every single one of you. And then there are other, well, people who are downright hurtful and toxic not only to me but to others inside our little community to the point of prejudice sometimes, which I wholly condemn. My point being is that as much as we wish it was so, not nearly every aspect of the true crime community is constructive or positive. And maybe that's just the nature of the genre, one that should be acknowledged more often. But one thing that is always positive is when creative and smart, driven individuals within that same community put their resources together and solve a homicide. I won't be trying to draw out or elongate the story. I think it's positively wonderful that individuals are as clever as they are, so this story may be short or it may be long, but it'll be exactly what it needs to be. In Eatonville, Washington, on a Thursday that was brilliant and bright and sunny and warm, August 9th, 2018 to be exact. A 63-year-old woman named Susan Rainwater was out on her bicycle after finishing her morning errands at roughly 9.30 a.m. She had left home, planting a kiss on her husband's lips and said goodbye, informing him that she would be back in an hour. State Route 7, along 320th Street East, a road near Susan Rainwater's home, well, more of a lane really, and roughly 60 miles south of Seattle was her chosen bike path that morning. Tragically, it was not the serene and introspective journey I'm sure she hoped it would be. Instead of her leisurely ride on a sunny day, from which she'd return, Susan was brutally struck by a vehicle. The driver had drifted outside the clearly defined bounds of his lane, and at full speed struck Susan and killed her. The driver then fled the scene, Meanwhile, as Susan was being struck and then lay there alone as she passed away, hopefully painlessly, her husband was at home, wondering how her morning ride was going, thinking of how much she treasured her cycling and the athletic outlet it gave her, possibly thinking that on August 9th, on that day, that she'd gotten carried away because of the beauty of the sunshine and that's what was taking her so long. No one came to Susan Rainwater's aid until a few hours had passed when a passerby first saw the bicycle laying shredded, bent, and cracked on the street. That individual was Susan's neighbor. As Susan's neighbor went closer to investigate, they saw Susan lying hidden partly by the grass only a few feet away from the bike. Her entire body was shades of purple and greens from the intense bruising of the collision. She had already passed away out of sight in the grass. No one had seen the collision. No one had witnessed the driver flee, so police, as helpful as they may be at times, were absolutely powerless to do anything beyond asking the public for help. 
With the help of Susan's family, who pleaded for the driver to come forward, police put out their own plea to the community at large asking for help in putting a name to whoever might have hit Susan. Reality was that police only had a small plastic black part of the front side of the driver's car to serve as a clue. All the same, a photo of the black piece of plastic was posted on social media and released to the public. The photo went out on Twitter when State Troop Ryan Burke tweeted, If you know anything regarding this collision, please call the Washington State Patrol. Now, police officers usually get a lot of the credit, and we often assume it's all through hard-nosed detective noir-style investigations. But a secret tool for every effective police force is crowdsourcing. We've all heard of cases solved through the examination of grainy, creepy security camera footage or pieces of broken wood. Heck, even right now, individuals across the U.S. have had their faces plastered on social media in regards to the Capitol riots, which has resulted in hundreds of individuals being charged. What I'm trying to say is that police sometimes need to let the public carry an investigation forward and often delegate the impossible task of, say, identifying a nondescript piece of black plastic from an unknown make and model of a vehicle to what people condescendingly call armchair detectives. Now, I'm not saying that armchair detectives are always a force for good. All things usually come in equal measures of good and bad. But in this case, it would prove to be a godsend. To a police force with a finite amount of individuals with a finite amount of man-hours... Being able to tap into a sort of hive mind of passionate crime solvers who can spend their time into pouring over minute details, such a thing could potentially increase the likelihood of a case being solved. All that being said, it was a tiny piece of black plastic, hardly anything to go on, and absolutely mind-boggling to think that much information could be bled from such an uninteresting-looking stone. All the same, the day after the photo was posted... It somehow trickled into the what is this thing subreddit. And this is where the power of these so-called armchair detectives really comes to light. Within a few hours of the photo being posted, the subreddit was being flooded with attention. Hundreds of comments began pouring into the thread, all of them working towards the goal of identifying the model of the vehicle. The pure mental gymnastics and Sherlock-style deduction of reverse engineering always impresses me. Eventually, a user by the name of Jeff's Nuts commented stating that he was a vehicle inspector in Maryland, and the piece of plastic was from a 1989 Chevrolet CK pickup. He had recognized the distinctive notch in the plastic as the spot used to access the headlamp adjustment screw on the older pickup truck, and went so far as to provide an image search, substantiating his claim as to the make and model of the vehicle. The most interesting part of his contribution is that user Jeff Nuts really didn't even understand what he had just done. He merely thought it was the perfect storm for him to be able to apply what would normally be knowledge only used for mundane work tasks to some fun little exercise on the internet for what Redditors call karma. He was soon surprised to find the attention his comment was attracting, and that's because this was exactly what investigators needed. Truly, the power of the internet had come through on the side of justice that day. A trooper quickly tweeted that the information provided by Jeff's nuts had been shared with detectives on the case, and from there the investigation actually finally started to roll. With the knowledge of the vehicle make and model, police began to comb through all of the nearby security footage in the city, 
And that's when the public came through with crucial information again. That time in the form of a tip that might actually bring the entire case to a close within a week. The anonymous tipster called to inform investigators that the Chevrolet pickup that they were searching for belonged to a local man named Jeremy Simon. Authorities quickly traveled out to Jeremy's home and began to look around for the vehicle hoping that the tip would prove to be a helpful one. And it was. It was actually a helpful tip. Creeps, for once, a tip didn't lead police down a never-ending and convoluted rabbit holes they often do in our episodes. Upon seeing the vehicle, it was apparent to police that Jeremy Simon's vehicle was in fact the car that had hit Susan Rainwater. The front corner of the vehicle was damaged, and the piece was a perfect match. So on August 14th, less than a week after Susan had been struck, police had the pleasure of arresting Jeremy Simon. He was charged with vehicular homicide, as well as illegal drug possession after it was suspected that he had swerved out of his lane and fled, well, because he was intoxicated. Jeremy was sentenced to a four and a half year prison sentence, as well as a mandatory drug treatment program for addicts, as he was also found holding a sizable amount of heroin for personal use at the time of the accident. Unfortunately, Susan's family didn't get the justice that they'd hoped for. The way they saw it, the sentence length seemed unreasonably short. Leah Miller, Susan's daughter, said, She didn't deserve to be left on the side of the road with no one to help her. All she ever did was help other people. As sad and horrible as that is, some justice is still better than no justice. When police had announced the arrest, they actually went so far as to credit Reddit users for their help and incredible support, as well as the anonymous tipster who had actually led them to Jeremy Simon. Today was a mixed bag of emotions, wasn't it, creeps? I'm sure some of you started off feeling a little uncomfortable with the frank nature of our intro, and then to be thrown into the tragedy of Susan Rainwater's death to then be uplifted by the support of the online community and then to be left feeling unsatisfied with the sentencing. I think the major takeaway was that we could all do with being a little bit more like Susan Rainwater and bring more positivity into the lives of other people. The pain Susan's family and friends feel is the result of the gift of her positive influence in their lives being ripped away. While it's painful, that pain is a reminder and a result of her kindness. I don't know about you creeps, but I hope that when I do leave this world, that I leave it a little brighter than I found it, that those who miss me smile when they remember me, and that they will go forth and put smiles on the faces of others, remembering the empathy and kindness they were treated with once upon a time. Do I do a good job of that all the time? Certainly not. And is this story all sunshine and rainbows? No. But... All we can really do is try and learn from the lessons and lives of others like Jeff's Nuts and Susan Rainwater, and hope that at the end of the day, we lived a good life, and that we were kind to one another. So, creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash talesbycole, where we release a Patreon-exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. 
If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly, every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors. (laughs) 